0: Hey, good morning everyone. We're glad that you're with us at Homestead Church online today. I hope you're having a wonderful weekend. We are going to be continuing our series in the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 19 today. So if you have a Bible somewhere around, we'd love for you to go grab that so you can follow along in Acts chapter 19. The series that we have been in for the last few weeks is called The Adventures of Paul. Now this is more than just telling the stories or looking at the stories of Paul as he traveled around um, and planted churches and saw the gospel spread. But the idea is this, is that Paul really lived a life of adventure. We're reading some of these amazing stories. And if you haven't uh, listened to the last few weeks, you can get caught up and listen online. Um, But this idea of an adventure with God is not just for Paul and is not just for the people that you read about in scriptures, and is not just for the professional ministers today, but this idea that God has an adventure of faith is for you, is for everybody. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus, is that you let God turn your life around, and then as a new creation in Christ, you live for him, and he is going to lead you on an adventure of faith. He's going to lead you places, he's going to use you to see his kingdom advance, and you're going to go through things and you're going to meet people and experience stuff that you're going to think, I can't believe I get to be a part of this. I imagine Paul had moments, especially when you look at Paul's past, he was the persecutor of Christians. He was in opposition to all things Jesus. But then God miraculously saved him, and now he is on this adventure where he is seeing people healed and saved and filled with the Holy Spirit and entire nations transformed and churches starting. This is the kind of thing that God wants to do with your life as well. So we are in Acts chapter 19. Paul is in Ephesus. Many people are being saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a great move of the Spirit. There's miracles. Um, And this is what is happening in Acts chapter 19 as we pick up the story. But there's a great side story here that I want to begin with. There's a great side story of while this is happening with Paul, there are people in Ephesus who are exorcists or they are people that move in the spiritual arts, I guess. Um, Not the Holy Spirit, but evil spirits, witchcraft, fortune telling, all these things. And they see what Paul is doing and they want some of this spiritual power. And then it says in Acts chapter 19 that there are seven guys, seven sons of a chief priest, and they want to do exactly what Paul is doing. And they come in contact with a demon-possessed man. And so they want to explore some of this supernatural power. And so they try to cast the demon out of this guy. And then we see what happens in verse 14. It says this, seven sons of Siva, that's fun to say, seven sons of Siva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit, so they go up to this guy who's possessed with the evil spirit. And it says, one day, the evil spirit answered them and said this, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I know, but who are you? (laughs) I love that line. I imagine the seven sons of Siva were scared in that moment. I imagine they're thinking, "Uh uh-oh, um... This demon is not shuddering in fear because of us. Jesus I know and Paul I know about, but who are you? And then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. I just find that story kind of (laughs) interesting. I want us, in light of that story, I want us to always strive to be people of great faith. People of great faith that are not leaning on the name or the power of another Christian leader. This is not just about um, having a Christian leader or a pastor or somebody that you say, okay, I'm, I'm with them. This is about your relationship with Christ. This is about you being filled with the Holy Spirit so that even the very evil spirits, they know who you are, just like the Apostle Paul. And this is not about us and our power, but this is about living with the power of God in us. So much so that the very spirits know who we are. And we have that authority in Christ to cast out evil spirits, to see miracles happen because of the power of Jesus Christ. Well, anyways, as this happens, people are getting saved. And then they see this thing with the evil spirit and the seven sons of Siva. And there is a great fear and reverence to the things of Jesus, to the things of God in this city. People are getting saved, and I want to read what happens in verse 17 through 20 of Acts chapter 19. When this became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. They're repenting of their sins. They're confessing their sins. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Here's what I want to focus on today in this story, and we're going to read on in just a minute. But here's what I want us to focus on. Not only are people getting saved, as we can see, but the culture is changing. The people are giving up idolatry. They're burning their scrolls publicly. This is a very public culture change. It is noticeable. And as a result, when you read on, the story continues. There's a man named Demetrius who is a silversmith. And a big part of Demetrius' income, his business, was making or providing the silver for people to make the idols to the god Artemis. And so what happens is, because of the move of Christ, because of Jesus moving and changing lives and people getting saved, and because that is causing the culture to change and people are giving up their idolatry, well, all of a sudden, the idol-making business takes a big hit. And Demetrius notices this. And so he gets everybody riled up and starts spreading rumors about Paul and the other followers of Jesus, saying they're a disruption, they're here to take over our city with these crazy ideas and they're causing hurt and pain, it's causing us to, uh, our income to be affected and so all he does is get people riled up to where there's like a mob scene. And now the entire city, all these people in the city have gathered together and they're like a mob going and protesting and shouting. Okay, this is what happens because of Demetrius. So I want to read that in verse 32 through 34. This is after the mob had assembled and everyone is shouting, Great is the god Artemis. So they're like shouting praise to their idol god, Artemis. And then this is what it says in verse 32. The assembly was in confusion. The mob, in other words, was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. And I love this line. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander to the front, and they shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. This is a total mob scene. Does this sound familiar at all? when you read this? Does this sound like our world at all? Everybody's shouting. Everybody's shouting. Some people are shouting on one side, some people are shouting on the other side. A lot of people don't even know what we're shouting about, but everybody's shouting. And when somebody gets up to talk rationally, when somebody gets up to discuss so that there could be greater understanding, he just gets shouted down all the more. We live in a mob mentality culture so often. In every issue, there are two sides. And people on the other side of our argument, we don't like them. And if there's an idea that is presented that doesn't go with our side of the argument, we don't even have time to listen to it and we will shout it down. We're not interested in discussion or understanding. We're just trying to be louder than the other side. And then we put it on cable news and people watch. And then we post links to the shouting on our Facebook page, and then people argue about, argue about it in the comment section of our Facebook page. And then the person who originally posted the argument says, oh, I didn't mean for this to turn into an argument, and I always see that and I think, well, what did you think was gonna happen? This is part of our culture. It is a mob culture where just the presence of ideas that go against our ideas is seen as an attack and must be shouted down. Now, for example, what we're dealing with today is this coronavirus pandemic. This is not a sermon on the coronavirus. There has been enough of those. I, for one, am tired of talking about it. (laughs) I'm ready to move forward as I'm sure everybody is. We're going to talk a little bit about that. But in our world, that is the thing everybody's talking about. And now it has predictably gotten to the point where everyone is shouting about it or picking sides. Now, this is a complicated issue. There is more to it than, it's not a simple two-sided argument. It's complicated. There is issues of public safety. There is issues of the economy and businesses. There is the issue of freedom and government overreach. And the government, Governor and state officials and city officials, the president, everyone in leadership has to make decisions based on limited information or information that's constantly changing, trying to make decisions that's going to be the best good for the most amount of people. It is a complicated issue. Yet mob mentality would seek to oversimplify. If we follow the model in Acts chapter 19, that mob would seek to oversimplify it To pick sides, to vilify those who disagree. In fact, if you read the message translation from Acts chapter 19, and I found this very interesting and very timely for our world today. Acts chapter 19 verse 32 in the message translation says this, Everybody was confused, but everybody was shouting and still posting to their Facebook pages. Nobody really knew what they were talking about because none of them were infectious disease experts. Wow, what a timely word for us today. Now, here's why I bring this up. And I bring this up for two reasons. And one is to talk specifically about Homestead Church over the next few weeks. And then the other broader reason I'm bringing this all up has nothing to do with the coronavirus, so if you're like me and you're sick of hearing people talk about it, just hang on for a couple more minutes. But the first reason I'm bringing all this up is this. Homestead Church like every other church over the next few weeks, is gonna begin the process of reopening, beginning to have church services. And we'll be getting guidelines from the governor and state officials, as well as our denomination, our district officials from the Assemblies of God. And we as leaders at Homestead Church are gonna make decisions on how and when we will reopen and what that's gonna look like. And here's what I know for sure, here's what I know for sure will happen is that some people are gonna think we're going way overboard and that it's all just made up and people are panicking for no reason. And they're gonna be mad at us for putting safeguards in place. And then I know that there's gonna be other people who are mad at us because we're not putting enough safeguards in place, that we're not taking it seriously enough. In our world today, we have people who are protesting Menards because they are making people wear masks. And we also have people protesting Home Depot for not making people wear masks. This issue is difficult. And I recognize that, and we need to recognize that. It's not black and white. There are lots of different layers to this. We recognize people are getting sick. People are dying because of this disease. People are losing businesses. Families are losing their family business. There are all sorts of economic impacts. Safety and well-being takes on many different forms. Doing what is safe and looking out for the well-being of a population takes on many different forms. So when we open as Homestead Church, what should our attitude be? Well, as always, our attitude as followers of Christ should be like Christ's. We should be Christ-like in our attitude, who did not put himself first but preferred others. And preferring others means not be a stumbling block. Don't make it all about you and what you think you deserve or what you want. This is Christ's approach. This is what he teaches us to do. So just to give you an idea, and we haven't made any decisions yet, we don't know what this is going to look like specifically at Homestead Church, but church could involve pre-registering for a service so we know how many people are coming, so that we can limit the number of people we let in the door. It could mean spreading out church services with time in between so that we can clean the building in between. It could involve no kids' church, that families sit together with some space between you and the other families. It's very Minnesotan. Minnesotans love a few seats in between you and the next person at church, so that shouldn't be a problem. It might involve wearing masks. It might involve signing a waiver. I'm just telling you this. We don't know exactly what it's going to look like. I'm just telling you so you can start thinking of it. It's not going to be all of a sudden, the trumpets will sound and we'll open the doors and church is going to go back to normal right from day one. We believe we're going to get there, but it might not look like that from day one. Now, I know it does no good to live in fear, and it also does no good to be obnoxious and try to prove everybody wrong by ignoring safeguards. Our attitude should be like Christ, who gave up himself, preferred others, laid down his life for others. Our attitude should be as those who have a higher allegiance other than our country or a political party or a social agenda. We have a higher allegiance even to than what we have to ourselves. We have a higher allegiance than our preferences and how we think things should be handled. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven above all else. So I am asking for your help as we begin to reopen. And I am so excited for the opportunity to reopen and I hope it comes soon. I have missed seeing you all in person. And if there's one thing that I have learned in the church world through this season is that we can do a lot of stuff online and we can do a lot of programs and put out great material. But at the heart of it, church is a community of people. We gather together. We fellowship together. We support each other together, face to face. We sing songs of worship together as a community. And I have missed that. And that has reinforced in my heart and in Christie's heart and in the leadership of this church's heart that it is about being a community of people. It's about being together. So I'm excited when we can do that. But I need your help as we begin to reopen to have the attitude like Christ, grace and understanding, having perspective, recognizing that there are people who have lost businesses because of this. There are people who are at greater risk of becoming sick because of this people who know people who have died or have family members or loved ones who have died because of this virus we need to have perspective we need to have an attitude like christ and more important more important than personal freedom our rights and our preferences is that jesus would always be honored in how we live amen now i get some of you might be upset that i just said all that and you might disagree And I would be happy to hear from you and discuss it with you. If you wanna send me an email, you can email at this email address, jeffmerricks at homestead.net. And I would be happy to reply in a timely manner. Now, that's it for the coronavirus, all right? Thanks for bearing with me. The other reason I wanna bring this whole story up is because of this, the culture at large. This is the bigger picture of this story. If you have ever wished that our culture would change or that our culture would become less sinful, more godly, more righteous, moral, this story is for you. This story is an amazing example of cultural change, right? Their story, the city of Ephesus was rampant with idolatry and all of a sudden the gospel starts moving and people start getting changed and saved and healed and have their lives restored. And as a result, the, idol- the idolatry business gets shut down. That's a, this was not a small part of their culture. This was significant cultural change. I want you to translate this into today's culture for a moment. And I want you to think about the issue going on in our culture today that grips your heart the most. The one you pray about the most because you know it breaks the heart of God. The one issue in our culture that you wish could be changed. Now this could be abortion or gun violence or racism or sex trafficking, sexual assault, addiction, financial corruption and greed. Whatever that is, and I want you to imagine this. Imagine so many people getting saved that the culture changes and that the numbers for those issues just drop significantly. Imagine that. Imagine that if the gospel changed our culture as it did in Ephesus. The Assemblies of God denomination that we are a part of really began in a revival in California on Azusa Street where there was this great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And this revival began and people gathered in churches for night after night after night for weeks at a time. People were getting saved. And one of the byproducts of that was that bars and nightclubs and strip clubs were all shutting down because there wasn't an appetite for it. People were being saved. The culture was changing. How did this happen in Ephesus where the foundational industry of idolatry in Ephesus was basically being shut down. How did that happen? There were no protests. The Christians didn't petition. The Christians didn't demand their city officials remove all forms of ungodliness. The change did not come down legislated from the top. This was grassroots. The change in culture happened because the gospel changed lives. In our culture, There are so many things that Christians are against, and rightfully so. There are evils in our society that we want to see gone. But the hope, too often, is that our government will legislate righteousness. That our government will legislate morality. That our government will make sin illegal. And this is misguided. Christianity is never meant to be legislated. The gospel is not intended to infect a culture from the top down. And this has been attempted over the years and over the centuries since Jesus walked the earth. There have been times where Christianity was legislated, and the results have never been good. The first century church, which we're reading about here, it thrived amidst persecution. But then in the fourth century, the Roman Empire, Constantine, He became saved. He became a Christian. And Christianity was the state religion. And it was imposed on everybody. And it became complacent, watered down, powerless. Now, I know that government in today's world can play a role. And we should always be standing up for what we believe is right. But the role of our government is not to make this nation a Christian nation. That's the role of the church to do. The role of the church is to fulfill the Great Commission to go into our world and preach the gospel and make disciples. This is not something that is going to be legislated from the top down. This is a grassroots movement that we are a part of. And you will always be disappointed every time you look for the government to do something that the gospel is supposed to do. You're always going to be disappointed. So whatever your issue is, whatever your hot-button issue is, the thing that you want to see changed, whatever the thing is that causes you to protest, to write letters and petitions, to pray about it, to wish that it would change, to argue about it, whatever that is, abortion, gun violence, pornography, sex trafficking, racism, addiction, corruption and greed, your hope is not in the government. You know what will stop all of these evil things? You know what will stop all of these evil things? When the appetite for them is gone. And that will happen when the move of God comes to our city and our nation, where people get saved and encounter the Holy Spirit, where they are gripped with the conviction of the Holy Spirit and new life comes into their heart. And all of a sudden, all their ways of sin and idolatry are no longer appealing, and we see them getting rid of it, where entire industries, abortion, pornography, Drugs, they shut down because there's no longer an appetite for it. This is how our culture will change. This is how our country will change. This is how the gospel will affect our world. We're gonna see the gospel infect every part, the darkest parts of our society, and the result is gonna be fewer mass shootings. Fewer unwanted pregnancies, fewer rapes and sexual assaults, what we're going to see is more value placed on human life, all human life, from the unborn to the pregnant teenager, to the single mother, to the poor people in the inner city, to the wealthy, corrupt, greedy people on Wall Street, where we see human life rise in value. Where we see people set aside their own wishes and wants to benefit others. Where we see people prefer others to prefer somebody else's life over theirs. This is how our culture will change when we are moving in the power of God. Not like those wimpy seven sons of Siva who had no power over the evil spirit. But rather, like Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit seeing God perform miracles, seeing his Holy Spirit fall and convict, being a part of people coming to Jesus. And if we do this enough times, our culture is going to change. Our world is going to change. Amen? So let's be a part of that. Let's be a part of that movement. This is what God wants to do. This is the greatest adventure you're going to be a part of. Amen? Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we come to you and we just ask for you to move in our hearts today. We ask that this word, this story from Acts 19 would grip us to see how your power can change a culture. This is not just a spectator thing in church. This is about seeing our society change. And it's not through violence or coercion, it's through the power of the Holy Spirit changing life, after life, after life, after life, and seeing the gospel spread. Help us to be a part of that. Thank you that we get to be a part of that. Help us to have an urgency about that, to do our part to fulfill the Great Commission. And I pray for wisdom and understanding and peace as we as a church begin to reopen over the next few weeks. Pray for your wisdom and understanding for our governor and our state leaders, for our president and our federal leaders, for the leadership of this church and the Assemblies of God denomination. I just pray that you would give wisdom and guidance and help all of us to have an attitude that is like Christ, humble, peaceful, preferring others, honoring you in everything we do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you, Homestead. Have an awesome week.